right now, at this very moment, as I speak, multiplied millions of people around the world are caught up in what the Word of God calls the great falling away or great apostasy. You and I are living in it right now. The collective church and myriad purporting quote-unquote Christians desperately need to be shaken out of its, their, spiritual slumber to the irrefutable reality that we are right now, in the year 2018, in the very midst of the greatest time of apostasy and falling away from the true God and His truth in human history, doctrinal deviation, degeneration, and denigration is a perilous path leading not to genuine unity of the Spirit, as posited by its propagators, but rather disunity with the Holy Spirit. It leads to apostasy, perdition, and ultimately hell itself. Stay tuned as I begin to unpack, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the real truth about the perilous path of doctrinal deviation. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God, he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal, affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ is our purpose. Friends, the subject of today's program is one of the most serious and somber topics we could possibly address. Right now, at this very moment, as I speak, multiplied millions of people around the world are caught up in what Jesus himself, along with the New Testament writers, prophesied and predicted would be a great falling away or apostasy. The collective church and myriad individual purporting quote-unquote Christians desperately need to be shaken out of its, their, spiritual lethargy and slumber to the reality that we are right now in the year 2018 in the very midst of the greatest time of apostasy and falling away in human history from the genuine faith elucidated in the Bible. While the collective church experienced what theologians and church historians have identified as a massive corporate falling away or apostasy during what is known as the Dark Ages, and that certainly was true, nevertheless, the Word of God 
categorically identifies a great falling away or great apostasy that will transpire in the very last days just prior to the catching up or rapture of the genuine church Jesus is building, which event shall be followed immediately by the revelation and activation, if you will, of the ultimate Antichrist, who will be the devil incarnate and who will orchestrate apocalyptic destructions upon the earth and, quote, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, end quote. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. The revelation or unveiling of the Antichrist has not yet occurred, but it certainly is only moments away on the clock of end times events. The Apostle Paul prophesied of this great falling away or apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 in his prophetic delineation of the last day's events, wherein referring to, quote, the day of the Lord, end quote, which is the day of the judgment of Christ upon the unbelieving world, he stated, quote, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, that is, the day of the Lord, will not come unless, or until, the apostasy, NASB, or falling away, it says in the King James Version, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, meaning the Antichrist, end quote. So he is saying that the great apostasy will precede the revelation of the ultimate Antichrist, who has not yet, in this hour in which we are living, been revealed as the Antichrist, though the man who will one day assume that role as the devil himself comes to possess him is almost certainly alive at this very moment here as I speak. Millions of those claiming to be Christians in America and other nations around the world are really nothing but what could be called senos, Christians in name only. They claim to be worshipers and followers of Jesus, but the quote-unquote Jesus they are worshiping and following is not the Jesus of the Bible the genuine Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and God the Son, the second member of the Godhead, but rather a counterfeit, a religious idol that is in reality a demon named Jesus, masquerading as the genuine Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4, the Apostle Paul said, quote, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, end quote. But rather, what is behind idols or false objects of worship and veneration is really demons. There is a demonic power and perhaps a principality 
that is being worshipped by multitudes today throughout the world that is not the real Jesus Christ, who was the Word of God made flesh, God in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, who cast aside his deity in order to take on the appearance of a man, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2.8, and humbled himself, even under the point of death, even death on a cross, who miraculously arose from the dead, and who ascended into heaven on the day of the ascension from the Mount of Ascension, which moment Luke described thusly, quote, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, end quote, Acts 1.9, and subsequently sat down, at the right hand of God, reclaiming his throne of dominion and sovereignty. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. But this is a people plundered and despoiled. All of them are trapped in caves or hidden away in prison. They have become a prey with none to deliver them and a spoil with none to say, give them back. Or in the King James Version, it says, none says restore. None says restore. On October 31st, 1517, in Wittenberg, Germany, an obscure Augustinian priest by the name of Martin Luther began to say, restore as he nailed his 95 theses to the door of Castle Church, sparking what became known as the Protestant Reformation. In Acts 3.21, the Apostle Peter prophesied concerning that, quote, period of restoration, end quote, saying that, quote, heaven must retain, literally the Greek says, heaven must retain the Christ until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time, end quote, has been completed and fulfilled. The Protestant Reformation was the beginning of that restorational period that continues yet today, 500 years later. Less than 300 years following the birth of the church and the inception of the church age, the church had devolved into a period of spiritual darkness known as the Dark Ages that spanned 1,200 long years, fulfilling the Apostle Paul's prophecy concerning a corporate great apostasy. Quote, But the Spirit explicitly says, that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, end quote. 1 Timothy 4, 1. This was the great apostasy for the corporate church, concerning which the Apostle Paul prophesied. 
During this age of spiritual darkness, the truth was subverted by humanistic ideologies and vain philosophies of men. Colossians 2.8 The doctrines of demons of which Paul forewarned. Many of the foundational doctrines of the church were distorted, perverted, diluted, invalidated, or totally abandoned. The fivefold ministry offices, as well as the apostolic prophetic governmental foundation of the church, upon which it was originally established, Ephesians 2.20, were abrogated and replaced with an ecclesiastical hierarchy as elite clergymen began to be driven more and more by what Augustine called, in Latin, libido dominandi, lust for rule or power. Indeed, the greatest single factor contributing to the spiritual debacle of the Dark Ages was the drift, following the death of the original apostles of the Lamb, from the apostolic moorings upon which the church was founded. In Acts 2.43, Luke wrote of the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, had intended to take place in the ecclesia, or church, that he said in Matthew 16:18, he was building, against which the gates or power of hell, or Satan's kingdom, would not be able to prevail. And thank God that that is the ultimate outcome we can rest our faith and hope upon concerning the true, genuine church that Jesus is building. The power of hell shall not be able to overcome it ultimately. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul, whose revelations concerning the truths of the kingdom of God comprise two-thirds of the New Testament, as quoted earlier, stated categorically as a prophetic warning to the end times church of which we believers who are living right now in 2018 are a part. Quote, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. End quote. 1 Timothy 4, 1.
Are you enjoying this podcast? Would you take just a minute to think about all the precious resources it takes to produce and make available a resource such as this? Time, talent, thinking, planning, preparing, studying, writing, editing, organizing, recording, audio editing, a multiplicity of post-production and publishing tasks, and on and on it goes. The big professional news and media companies employ 10 to 20 people to produce a presentation such as this podcast at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you enjoy the program, would you be so kind as to take a minute and pray to ask God if He would have you lend a helping hand our way in the form of financial support? In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to make a donation of any amount. Your gifts would be so greatly appreciated and used for the glory of God in the production of this program. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity and graciousness. So I want to talk about heretics and heretical teaching. The Apostle Paul is saying here in this scripture I just read, 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 5, he's saying that people who corrupt the word of God and concoct contrary teachings, or who, in other words, denigrate doctrine, do so because their minds are void of the truth and have become corrupted or depraved by perverse thoughts of self-gratification and selfish gain. In his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul was a little more terse and direct concerning the ulterior motivation of an heretic, as it reads in King James Version, and how such a person is to be dealt with. It says, reject a factious man, an heretic, after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned, Titus 3.10. The Greek word translated an heretic in the King James Version and a factious man in the New American Standard Version literally means a self-opinionated man, meaning a person who lives by and constantly asserts his own self-willed opinions, rather than living and advocating the will and thoughts of God, as revealed by the Word of God. We are straightforwardly told to, quote-unquote, reject such a person, 
knowing, it says, quote unquote, knowing, not merely speculating, suspecting, or improperly judging, but knowing that such a person is perverted and is sinning, and knowing also that it is not we who are condemning him, but rather that he is self-condemned, that is, condemning himself by his own stubborn, self-willed perversion of the Word of God and outright sinful actions and attitudes against others. Now, a word of caution in this regard. One must be very careful not to condemn or categorize as a heretic a person who adamantly and unrepentantly advocates the truth of the Word of God. Adamancy and intransigence when it comes to standing on and speaking the truth is not only not wrong, but it should be the unrelenting and dogged pursuit of every believer. Yet it is quite common for less developed, less mature, less knowledgeable, and less zealous professing believers to disparage and label radical those who are more arduous in their walk, more scripturally knowledgeable, more spirit-trained, and frankly, more mature than they. A person who is attempting to fashion his every thought and deed after the word of God is certainly anything but a heretic or self-opinionated, but rather he is God-opinionated. In fact, Jesus indicated that being self-willed juxtaposed to God-willed is the litmus test of the veracity of the teaching a person advocates. Listen carefully to the following passage recounting an occasion on which the Jewish religious leaders were questioning Jesus' qualifications and, by extension, the validity of his teaching. This is a passage in John chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, therefore, were marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, as a quick aside and a scant few words, Jesus settles, at least for me, unequivocally the long-debated question regarding the requisite method of a minister's training whether or not it must be formal or academic, or if God also employs other means of equipping those whom he appoints. 
there is little doubt that the persons speaking were ordained, if you will, rabbis who had been trained in the traditional and authorized rabbinical schools, which tradition continues yet today for the training of Jewish rabbis. These rabbis categorically stated that Jesus, though regarded as a teacher or rabbi by the people, had not been quote-unquote educated in their rabbinical schools. Yet after listening with a critical ear to his teaching, these very erudite academicians unabashedly admitted, though doubtless reluctantly, that Jesus was indeed learned. That they could not deny. But rather it was concerning the how or method by which he had become so learned, which they questioned. Those yet today who adamantly contend that a minister must be quote-unquote educated by a means of formal education and academic curricula in their seminaries under the tutelage of intellectual professional theologians are similarly bewildered by the undeniable learnedness of those who have been trained not by mere human instructors in the abstractness of reality-removed ivory tower classrooms, but by the preeminent professor, the Holy Spirit, in reality-related desert dens, the classrooms of the school of the Holy Ghost in the desert. The truth of the matter is made clear in a passage that teaches us that one does not need to be educated by men in order to be certifiably learned in the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.12, which are taught by the Spirit, it says, 1 Corinthians 2.13. Of such things, the ultimate teacher is the Spirit of God, read 1 John 2.27. Of these things, they shall all be taught of God, John 6.45. But beyond the matter of the method by which Jesus obtained his knowledge and wisdom lay the deeper issue, which was really the heart of these religious leaders' question, the veracity or legitimacy of the teaching. Resisting the temptation to defend and verify himself by responding to the method matter, Jesus cut instead to the ulterior, ultimate issue. He indicated essentially that the litmus test of the veracity or legitimacy of a person's teaching is inherent in its origination and its objective. As to origination, whether it originated from God, making it God-authored, or from one's own reasonings, making it self-authored. As to objective, whether it is God-glorifying or self-glorifying. For Jesus said, He who speaks from himself 
seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus' response regarding the teaching he taught was that it originated with God. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, he said, and that any person who is willing to do his will, meaning God's will, will know with certainty that it originated with and was authored by God. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.